0: Welcome to Lacrosse Recruiting 101, where the biggest names in lacrosse share their inside views and expertise. Now, your host, Luke Cometti. In this episode of the podcast, I talk with Kyle Hartzell, long stick middy for the Atlas Lacrosse Club in the Premier Lacrosse League. Kyle has had quite an impressive lacrosse career so far, being a college All American, winning two national championships was also an MLL All-Star in 2011, 2012, 2013, and 2015. was MVP of the 2010 MLL Championship game, leading the Chesapeake Bayhawks to an MLL title. Won an MLL title with the New York Lizards as well in 2015. Played five seasons in the National Lacrosse League, helping Washington win an MLL title in 2010. And won a silver medal in 2014 and a gold medal in 2018 with the USA national team. Kyle and I talk about how things are going out in LA where he's working for the PLL headquarters and how they are gearing up for their second season. We also discuss how he's focusing on the PLL Academy, what exactly that is, and how they may be coming to a city near you. We then go into Kyle as a player and his unique path coming out of high school where he got a late start to playing the game in ninth grade, ended up attending junior college at CCBC Essex, then playing at Division Three Salisbury, and ultimately becoming one of the best players in the world. From training, to diet, to mentality, to even failure, Kyle walks us through how he became so successful in the game he loves and gives some great advice to players or anyone out there who's striving for that same level of success. Remember, if there's something I missed, there's something you'd like to hear on the next podcast, then please email us at questions at lacrosserecruiting com or tweet at our Twitter handle, at laxrecruit one. Thanks for listening. Kyle Hartzell, thanks for coming on the podcast, man.
1: No problem, Luke, man. Thanks for having me.
0: Yeah, so you're in L.A. right now, working at the PLL headquarters. Probably a pretty excited, exciting time to be there, gearing up for your second yeah. season. You want to talk about that a little?
1: Yeah, I, mean, as my, I think as of this month, it's going to be a year uh out in LA um last year uh, as you know I was down in um Texas I don't know if I coached against you or not what year did you graduate I don't think
0: yeah I think my first graduated. year we came up to Plano West we played yeah guys.
1: yeah so um you know it seems like I was there yesterday in Texas but you know last year moved uh left everything behind in Texas to you know help start the PLL and um, went back to Baltimore, I worked out of the office there. And then when we announced our headquarters, it was supposed to be in Austin, Texas. So I didn't move, I moved my entire house out in Dallas into a storage unit, thinking I was going to come back there. Um, <laughs> but then they announced Los Angeles. So I drove halfway across the country, picked up my stuff up in a U Haul, and then uh, headed out to LA. But this will be a year under my belt. Um, you know, we started with, I think, three employees in the office. Now we have close to 30. I think we're up to 30 right now. Um, in our LA office, and then we have a bunch uh, in our New York City office. So um, it's growing, um, as you can tell. You know, year one was a very, very successful, and um, year two is on deck, and we're uh, we're starting to our new cities that we're coming to. So,
0: awesome. I know one of your focuses is the PLL Academy. For those who are listening who don't know what the PLL Academy is, can you give us a little rundown of what you guys are doing there?
1: Yeah, PLL Academy um, is basically just, you know, grabbing, you know, taking all of our athletes that play in the PLL that want to coach. Uh, right now, we kind of have uh, Bryce Young played at Maryland, uh, Ryan Drenner played at Talzin. uh myself, Joe Walters, uh, to name a few. But what we do is kind of just, you know, we, we drop into different cities pretty much all across the United States, um, you know, just spread the game, teaching the sport of lacrosse. Um, and you know, we like to drop in the areas that aren't, you know, um, your, your typical markets. So we got we got clinics coming up in Wisconsin, Kentucky, Kansas. So, you know, we're kind of we're kind of going all over the place because you know, as you know, being in Austin, the, the sport is growing hugely uh, there in there in the Midwest, uh, Texas especially. I saw that from the ground level when I was there for five years. Wow. Um, but the sport is literally exploding all across the U.S. So we're dropping. Um, you know, if there's lacrosse being played, you know we're we're there uh, for that. So, but you know, my job, typically, I'm booking the athletes, setting up all the clinics, um, and um, you know, we just run with it. So we got one coming up in Austin, coming out to see you guys. So looking forward to that one as well.
0: Yeah, we're excited, and I know a lot of players, high school and youth players, are excited because you are the athletes they're watching on TV. And I feel like it doesn't happen in too many sports where. Yeah. You know, you're a big fan. You're watching the professional game. You're seeing these players compete. And now you actually get to work and train with them. So that's pretty cool that you guys are doing that. Right. And you're going to all these cities. So if someone who's not from Austin, how do they find out when you guys will be in their city or if you will be in their city?
1: Yeah, we have, we have a pretty large database of outreach. You know, we set up clinics. We, uh, we reach out to that database via email. And um, from there, you know, I usually pick up the phone calling guys such as yourself email emailing schools in the area that might not know about it. Um, it's kind of hard. Um, you know, I don't think, you know, the technology age that we're in currently, a lot of social media marketing, because um, a lot of kids are, you know, constantly on the phones, as you know. Sure. Um, so we do a lot of social media push. Uh, we have a huge email database we push out to. Um, and we kind of, you know, just, just market pretty much up probably 90% of our marketing email, social media. And then after that, you know, we're usually picking up the phone and calling places to get their kids um, out to the clinics. But yeah, like you said, not, not many other sports, like the NFL, NHL, there's not many sports in the US. I S I don't think there's any actually that, you know, you can get in front of your favorite player and, you know, learn, you know, learn for the best in the game. So I think that's unique in uh, how we do that. And um, you know, that that's one of our, you know, you know foundations and something we run with and market, uh, you know, we got like a Miles Jones coming into coming into town. That could be your favorite midfielder. Um, you know, you got Joe Walters. You know, kids at you know, Austin Texas that maybe have never seen him or got the opportunity to learn from him. You know, they are coming right to the guy's backyard or girl's backyard, and uh, you can learn from that player. So,
0: yeah, that's awesome. So, when you put on these clinics, what does a typical clinic look like? You know, break it down a little bit. Like, is it very position specialized? or do you kind of get after it with attackmen and defenders, or how does that work?
1: Yeah, we're pretty much geared toward position-specific. So usually when we drop into a city, like when we're coming to Austin, uh, it's myself, Joe Walters, and I think Scotty Rogers is the goalie coming. So we break off into positions there, and we'll do an hour-and-a-half clinic uh, just strictly based on positional. So uh, Joe will be handling the offense. Um, I'll be handling the defense, obviously, and uh, Scotty will be taking the goalie. So you'll get an hour-and-a-half. Uh, that positional training and then we have something called small group training uh, It's only limited to six kids first come first serve basis uh, those six kids that's more of like an individual lesson the kids get video feedback uh, they'll get an email from their coach saying you know what they're good at what they're not good at and what they need to focus on moving forward to improve as a player so uh, we kind of keep it pretty simple nothing too overly complicated we do have like shooters versus goalies clinics um defensive against attackman clinics uh, but for the one we're doing in austin and pretty much 80% of what we do is all positional based clinic stuff. Uh, just kind of focus on the position at hand. And, um, you know, we drop into cities. We feel like kids benefit most from that rather than just rolling out a ball and, you know, letting them compete. Um, we're pretty dialed in from the instru- instructional standpoint. Uh, if you guys follow our social media, we're always putting up videos a week. Uh, whether that be a Garrett up this week, he was, uh, we have him on film picking off passes and, kind of little tidbits in their own defenses and how they can uh, get better at that. So yeah. a, lot, a lot of content on our social media being pushed out, and showing guys, you know, via film, film, what we're doing and what we're trying to get across to them. And then obviously hands-on instruction uh, is our is our bread and butter.
0: Yeah. Well, we're super excited to have you guys down here in May, but um, let's talk about you as a player specifically. You've won two college national championships, two MLL championships. An NLL championship and a gold medal with the U.S. team. Probably not a lot of players have done that, and clearly you have what they call the special sauce. Can you kind of attest to that success in the professional arena?
1: Yeah, you're missing two. I had a bronze medal for indoor and then silver medal for outdoor.
0: Okay.
1: But I, don't like to talk about those. I don't like to talk about those anyway. But, uh,
0: yeah. There's only so much I can put on here now. Yeah.
1: <laughs> No, but I mean, you know, coming from D3, uh, if you're a Division three player, right off the bat, your chances of playing professionally are not great, judging off of how many, you know, Division one Tour Award winners, college All-Americans you're going up against. So I was, you know, the last pick in the supplemental draft in the MLL. That is the draft after the college draft. So yeah. we usually call that the garbage draft, the leftover draft. So I would the <laughs> last pick, 72nd pick in that. Um, so right off the bat, confidence isn't too high in there as i the last pick of the draft, um, you know. But when I got the training camp, you know, I I just took that as a chip on my shoulder. Um, you know, Jim Berkman at Salisbury really really instilled in me a work ethic um, and you know outwork everybody mentality, and I'm still doing that today. And it, I think that's why I'm still playing today. You know, at the age of 34, you really really got to be dialed into uh, nutrition, uh, you know, your workout, scheduling those out, and just taking care of your body because as you get older you know, stuff begins to break down or, you know, the mobility is getting worse. So uh, when I got here to LA, uh, one of my trainers, Mike Dinta, he, he's our PT guy for the PLL. His company, Evolution PT Fit, out here in Los Angeles, they have clinics all over the place, Connecticut, and all through uh, the Los Angeles area. But he, we do mobility workouts twice a week, once and twice a week. But um, that, that's stuff that I've never focused on and stuff that's allowed me to, I think, continue to play, uh, you know, I had my best, I think one of my best seasons ever last year at the age of 33. So, um, you know, I'm still playing at a high level and, um, you know, still enjoying it. So, but I think the biggest thing, you know, if you want to play at a high level, whether that's, you know, in high school at a varsity level, making the varsity team or college club, it doesn't matter. Wherever you're playing at and if you want to be one of the best, you just got to be able to, you know, willing to do the extra stuff that no one wants to do. Um, you know, I put time left, hours in the gym, you know, I was at Salisbury. I was always on the wall after, before practice, um, just outworking everybody. So for all you listeners, just uh, doing every, something every day to get better and you know outworking the competition.
0: Yeah, you're right. When people think of professional lacrosse players, they think of guys who came from the Division One level. I mean, there certainly are some D3 players as well, including yourself. But you kind of had an interesting path. Can you talk about that a little bit out of high school, why you decided on junior college? and how that got, you know, then you picked Salisbury after that, you know, won a championship at both and then still went on to compete and be one of the best players in the world. So what were you kind of thinking out of high school and why did you end up at a junior college initially and then pick division three after that?
1: Yeah, I was a big, uh, I was a big soccer player growing up. You know, I never played lacrosse until my ninth grade year of uh, high school. So when I got to, uh high school I went to the Archbishop Curley. It's a uh private school in Baltimore City, uh part of the MIAA league. Uh I was in the, I think we were in the B division then. I think they're in the A now. Um, but when I got there, the lacrosse program wasn't great. So the uh the coach there at the time, uh, Joseph Latona, who was a great coach, got me, you know, my first stick in my hand and you know, got me playing the sport, uh kind of recruited the football players, all the other sports, soccer players. Uh, so when he he asked me to play. I was like, yeah, I'll give this a try. And as soon as I got the stick in my hand, I fell in love with it. Um, and I was an attackman for four years. And then from there, I went to Villa Julie uh, for a semester, which is now Stevenson. Um, but when I got there, the program was kind of, um, I do not say shit, but it was like no one like cared, cared much when I was there. So I kind of left after one semester as Coach Canabine. He got there pretty much right after I left. If Coach Cannabine was there when I got there. I probably would have been staying at Stevenson for those four years because yeah. Coach Canabine's is an unbelievable talent. And, uh, you know, at the professional level, one of the probably the best faceoff guys to ever play the game. You know, U.S. U.S. national team, um, and you know, he the last two national teams I've been a part of, he was there evaluating players and you know coaching guys up. So uh, you know, I have all the respect for him in the world. I wish he would have been there. Um, maybe I would have stayed. But, um, you know, I can't complain because, you know, going from there to Salisbury, uh, Jim Berkman, uh, one of the best coaches, probably the best coach I've ever had um, to date. But I, I didn't get recruited. So from high school, I went um, to junior college. And then I didn't even really know they had a lacrosse team. So I was there at school on campus. And then I went there and tried out uh, for the team. And we we had a really, really good team. Um, you know, we won was it the first two years we were there or my freshman year. We went undefeated, won a national championship, 19 and 0. And then the second year, we went wow. undefeated wire to wire again, and lost in the national championship to Herkimer in overtime. That's when uh, Brett Kleiner was in goal. Oh yeah. Um, Adam Zuerhaven, who was the Delaware. I mean, my whole entire lineup went to Division One, and then you look at the other side of Herkimer. Pretty much their entire starting lineup went went on to play Division One lacrosse. So um, a lot of my a lot of my friends were the UMBC, and I still wasn't getting recruited. So. I kind of was like, I, I don't, I really don't know what I'm going to do here. And then I think in our regional tournament, um, Coach Dobbins, who is now I don't know what school he's at, uh, he he kind of said, "Hey, you know, you look, you look athletic, look like you uh, you might be able to help us out. You know, would you like to walk on to Salisbury?" And that was the only offer at the time, so it wasn't even being recruited. It was pretty much like you can try to walk on. And uh, I showed up to Salisbury, hundred kids trying out, and walked on, and uh, the rest was history. So. <laughs>
0: Wow. That's quite a story, seeing as you walked yeah. on the first semester, not even knowing if you were going to play lacrosse. And then look where you are now. Yeah,
1: and I, yeah, and I heard so much stuff about Salisbury. And also, just like, my friends were like, dude, you're going to go try to walk on it. Because at the time, Salisbury, I think, was like back-to-back-to-back championships that year, I think. Three? Yeah, they, they were on their third championship undefeated season. They go so like, you're going to try to go to Salisbury and play? You didn't even get recruited. It's like, you were an idiot. <laughs> And I was like, you know, I kind of took that as, you know, more motivation to kind of go do it. And you know, when I got there and saw the level of players and stuff, I knew I could compete. And um, it took me, you know, my first year, um, you know, my first year I played, I think, long stick mid, and then they dropped me down to close defense. And I was a captain my senior year at Salisbury and ended up winning a national championship. So,
0: you know, playing a national
1: championship every year of college, you know, uh, junior college won one my freshman year, lost me overtime my sophomore year. Junior year, it's all very lost in overtime uh, to Cortland, and then uh, senior year, we won, uh, beating Cortland at uh, Raven Stadium to uh, kind of cap off my college career. So
0: nice, nice. That, that's quite a story. And clearly, you weren't sure of your lacrosse future, so your ceiling was probably still pretty high as you were in college and even coming out of college. Hence, why you maybe weren't picked up initially. Or very high up in the MLL draft, but then you ended up doing some very big things in the MLL. You know what? what yeah. when you got into the pro- professional arena, what have you done to practice and to stay competitive? Because I know there's not a ton of practices. I, th- I think the PLL is taking some pretty big strides with that, but the MLL initially, you know, you have the practice before the game, and then you play. What were you doing during the week to keep yourself, you know, at a place where you can be competitive and you can continue to learn and get better?
1: Yeah, I think the biggest thing I had to my advantage was obviously my work ethic coming out of college. Um, you know, To this day, I still think I'm the hardest working player in the league, um, and I'll argue that with anyone to, to the grave. But um, you know, when I was playing my first year in the MLL, right, we do not get paid much money. It wasn't a full-time job. So pretty much everybody on the roster has a full-time job. When you have a full-time job, depending on what you're doing, um, you do not have much time to work out. Right, You have That's guys right. that are on Wall Street guys that are on wall street in new york city right there's not many gyms around in new york city you're working nine to five you're sitting in a desk chair all day uh it's really hard to find the motivation um to work you know i came out of college and uh you know i would worked a job for one year and i was like look if i'm gonna play professional lacrosse and make a run this thing i'm gonna have to start my own company uh run my own clinics to make you know ends meet and then that'll allow me to work out full-time and play lacrosse full-time so you know i had to scrap I had to scrap and, you know, I didn't make much money until like age 20, probably shit 28. Um, that, that's kind of when I started making, you know, a good amount of money to kind of do what I want. And, you know, I moved to Texas, a uh, full-time coaching job. That still allows me to do things full-time. I, I think you're seeing a trend. A lot of guys want to get into the coaching realm, whether that's college, uh, you know, high school, they, they pay good money down there in Texas and other areas. Um, but if you're, if you're a head coach at a high school and assistant coach in college, Right, you're in a facility all day, you got a stick in your hand every day, and you're also, you have the weight room to your advantage there as well, so you, yeah. I think lacrosse jobs, lacrosse-specific jobs are keeping guys doing the sport full-time, um, so that's what I saw. Um, you know, I started uh, Rogue Lacrosse, which is a club team company with my buddy Josh Marcel. I did that for about six years, and then I kind of got, uh, parents were driving me nuts, and I uh, got out of the club <laughs> space, and then I moved to uh, just instructional base, you know, kind of that, that's what I really, really love to do is really teach my position and, um, you know, show kids how it's done. And, you know, kind of the good thing about, you know, playing professional, you get so many coaches, playing international, you have your college coach, professional coach, and then obviously John Danowski, um, Dave Petromala, the last two USA teams I was on, um, I got to learn from them as well. So just learning from different coaches and then putting that all into a curriculum and kind of giving back to the sport and showing these young kids, you know, you know how that's done because you know i didn't have that when i was their age I, I literally like like you know i mean i'm 34 i didn't have youtube i didn't have instagram i didn't have twitter when i was young so i had to literally yeah. just learn on my own um and i think you know that was way harder than it is today because i could literally go on the internet or ask siri on my iphone to find a, a lacrosse you know defensive footwork drill and something will pop right up and kids can see that and emulate it um so i think uh you know, it's been it's been a it's been a long run. I've learned a lot. I learned a lot along the way. But you know, having the Premier Cross League now and being paid full time money, and a full time salary, is uh, getting health benefits. We get equity in the league. Um, you know, having all that is uh, very very good. I uh, wish I was 23 again. I'm 34. I'm milking <laughs> as long as I can. But yeah. uh, these young guys coming into the league now, you know, that are in their 20s, they really really have a you know. A massive opportunity to put themselves in the mainstream and get endorsement deals. You're seeing a lot of guys sign endorsement deals now, um, just because of you know we're on NBC TV. you have these you know big, huge media outlets, and our media team is you know the best media team in all of sports. When I say all of sports, I mean NBA, NHL, um, across the board. They put out some unbelievable content.
0: Yeah, nice. This episode of the podcast is brought to you by Iron Horse Lacrosse, the number one lacrosse program in Texas for travel teams, camps, and clinics. For more information on Iron Horse, visit their website at www.ironhorselax.com. Is there anything you do to help your lacrosse game that isn't necessarily related to lacrosse, at least directly?
1: Um... No, I mean, just the speed and agility thing, right? As a defenseman, um, I think you need to have quick feet. I think that is the most important thing as a defenseman. You take the stick out of your hands, you know, in practice, you know, with my D guys, I'm doing a lot of stuff without the sticks because taking the stick out of their hand, you got to be able to play guys with your feet and keep guys in front of you with your feet. And if you can't keep your guy in front of you with your feet, you're not going to be able to do that with a six-foot pole in your hand. Um, So I do a lot of speed and agility work, uh, you know, sleds, ropes, uh, pretty much high intensity workout for my, you know, what I'm really focusing on now at my age, I don't really lift heavy anymore. I'll do maybe like one heavy lift a week. Um, yeah. but outside of that, I'm doing a lot of movement based stuff. Like I said, mobility stuff, you know, opening my hips up, keeping everything loose down there and, um, speed and agility, ladder work, uh, is very, very, I think it's like paramount as a defensive. If you're not doing that stuff, you're, you're going to fall, you're going to fall behind pretty quickly.
0: You mentioned your diet earlier, too. What does that look like? Do you focus a lot on that, or do you have someone who focuses a lot on that for you?
1: Yeah, interesting that you asked that. I uh, I kind of just ate, you know, kind of whatever I wanted, plants, so i pretty 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 clean, uh, but I, uh, you know, I just started yesterday, Yeah, yesterday, the carnivore diet, uh, it's just you eat nothing but meat, so I'm doing that for 30 days. Huh. so it's uh i'm in day two right now it's uh pretty interesting not get that from rogan? <laughs> yes it actually is from rogan yeah. <laughs> um I've, I've been looking at it for a long time to do it um and i've kind of been reading articles on it there's been a couple of, like iron man champions that are on it that i've been doing for you know years um and you know all the benefits of it you know increased focus um you get um you know anti-inflammatory i got some injuries i'm battling right now i'm not anything serious. But, uh, you know, I'm, I'm doing it because of that as well. But, um, you know, I'm just trying something new, just uh, seeing if it will help me out and what I'm doing every day and, uh, you know, boosting testosterone levels with the all meat diet as well. You know, getting 34, getting up there a little bit in my playing career, but, you know, still playing at a high level. I feel fast, healthy. Um, so we're only really one day into it, but uh, maybe I'll check back in with you in a, in a month or two. <laughs>
0: that works. So you've, <laughs> You've played in a lot of big games. I mean, you talked about the national championship games you've played in, you know, a couple ML championships, NLL championships, gold medal games. How do you prepare for a big game like that? And maybe, like, how have you evolved your preparation for a big big game like that since you've played in so many of them?
1: Uh, I think, you know, early on I kind of, you know, this going to sound this going to sound weird, but taking it very you know too seriously. I think you know just just psyching myself out, or you know you can't really worry about what's going to you know focus on the negative of what's going to happen on the game. You know, we played Canada in 2014. I think a lot of those guys went in that game, um, you know, thinking about you know you know what if we lose this game? We're not supposed to lose this game, and just thinking about that stuff. You know, going into it with a wrong, I guess, state of mind. You know, now you know at my age, I've had like you said, I've had a lot of experiences and. I kind of approach every game the same now it's just you know go in get myself loose go through my warm-up and then when the whistle blows like you know i know how to i know how to play this game i've been doing it for a long time and let the game come to you because at the end of the day if you're trying to force stuff and make stuff happen you know i think you know you just get kind of like quick thing you're going to keep going deeper and deeper and um it's a team sport and you gotta include everybody and you know i think now i'm just taking it more level-headed you know a little bit easier on myself going into these games because at the end of the day right you got to let the game come to you you can't force it because you're trying to force it right you're playing selfishly or doing something on your own so um, just more team-oriented and just you know let the game come to me I think is the biggest change from you know when I was in my 20s you know taking three scoops of pre-workout and you know, shaking before the whistle. Uh, <laughs> that is definitely a big change of mind, but um Absolutely. no, just more level-headed. You know, just pretty much I'm not superstitious. I go into the stadium same time every every week. Warm up, do my same warm up every time. Stick work in pregame, and then whistle blows, and then we're right at it. So nothing, nothing crazy. Just uh, I think now at my age, I'm just taking things a little bit more lightly, as in preparation and just staying loose. That's the biggest thing.
0: Yeah, and I'm sure it helps that you know that you are working just as hard, if not harder, than any player out there, right? So when you yeah. attack these big games, you know you've put in the time and the effort. That this is almost the fun part, and you're just relying on your training and falling back on that.
1: Yeah, I mean it's hard. It gets harder and harder. I think you as know, you get older. To you know, the season ends, and then you got to you know take a month off, and then it's you know six months of intense training every freaking day. So it, and that's a uh definitely a mental game some days i wake up i don't want to work out but i go do, do it anyway uh, when that season hits man it's it's very rewarding because you're like i'm just freaking you know i'm up at, i'm up every morning at 4 a.m uh, and it's just you know you go back when the season starts and you're like no one else is doing that shit and when, you know when the whistle blows there's no one on the field that you know put in the work that i put in so that, that gives you the confidence uh, right off the bat as in if you just you know sat on your ass all off season you're not going to have that confidence
0: how do you balance your rest you talk about taking a month off after the season is that a month of nothing just letting your body recover and then maybe when you yeah. start up that high intensity training again where do you take your breaks or how often
1: yeah i mean i'm not doing completely nothing um you know i do a lot of yoga uh you know this all season i kind of took two weeks off i didn't do anything and then i got into yoga and then i started picking up workouts again i am enjoyed it pretty lightly um, and as of was it like a month ago, everything kind of, I'm back to where I was, you know, high intensity training. Um, and I take about two days of active recovery, but every, every day outside of that, you know, it's weightlifting and speed, and agility, and mobility workouts pretty much all week. So, uh, we're, well, we're back to full throttle right now. But yeah, after the season, you know, usually I take like a month off, you know, yeah, as you know, you played, uh, you play lacrosse, it's a, uh, you get the crap beat out of you and you need, you need that time off to, you know, heal bruises. You know, I had I had a back injury. I got tendinitis in my elbow. I got plantar fasciitis in my right foot. You know, you need to, you know, let your body calm down before you get back into it. Cause if you don't, you're just going to cause more injury to your body and it's yep. not going to perform the way you want it. Yeah.
0: So when someone looks, especially at your professional career and college career, you know, they see how successful you've been and they assume, Oh, he's always been a dominant athlete, dominant lacrosse player you know, but that may not have always been the case. Can you talk about a time where maybe you lost some confidence in yourself and your ability and maybe more importantly, how you ended up getting out of that rut?
1: Yeah. Um, I think was it 2010, I said, I was, I got I, think I, got, I was my main championship weekend MVP. Um, and I was the first defenseman ever to win that award. No one else has ever won uh, the championship weekend MVP. Um, so after that, I'm kind of, my confidence is pretty high. The um, U.S. team that year comes around. I'm arguably one of the best polls in the country. And I didn't even get invited to try out. So not even, you know, when you try for Team USA, you got to submit an application. They look at it and they say, hey, come to camp, try out. Or, you know, they don't even accept you. So that kind of, like them not even giving me a look, that kind of shot my confidence, I think, that year in 2011. Yeah. I was like, well, you know, what what more do I need to do for that? And, you know, other guys that were playing above me, you know, I thought I should have been there or them, but, you know, there's nothing you can do in that process, right? You can't control that. You can only control the controllables and coaches are going to take who they want. That's kind of how I looked at it. Um, one game that year, Brendan Mundorf, who probably I think is arguably the best dodging attack would ever play the game. I guarded him. I think he scored like six goals on me. I got pulled and uh, I didn't start the next game. They sat me. That was a really, really low point in my career because I was like, you know, I just got beat. One got beat for six goals, and then um, I'm not playing. I didn't play the next week, so uh, that was definitely a shot to the gut. But I think stuff like that um, is very beneficial now. Looking back on it, right, if you're a you're a starting player and you know you're just starting every single year, every single game, you kind of get into like a not not a wall, but you're like, ah, oh, no one's gonna, no one's behind me to take my position, Contact. and then play Almost. like shit. Yeah. And then when you play like shit, that really woke me up. Cause it was like, okay, well they're, they don't give a shit. If I'm not, you know, if I'm not performing, they're going to, they're going to sit me. So I haven't sat a game since that moment. And I think that made me not take it for granted ever again. So I kind of was taking it for granted. I was like, you know, riding high and I was like, you know, they're not going to sit me. And then they sat me and it was like, you know, I, I really need to pre- come ready to perform every week. Cause that will happen. So
0: <laughs> Yeah. I think, I think it's so important for players, young players and parents to hear that, because here you're having this experience at the professional level and young players go through this. You know, if they don't make their seven, eight select team or their high school team or whatever it is, but they have potentially such a long career ahead of them. It's really how they react to it, you know, and it can be, you know, turning that negative into a positive like you did. And uh, you're yeah, not right. making excuses for it. And you know what are you going to do to make sure that doesn't happen again?
1: Yeah, and I, I mean, I, I don't have the mindset as someone that's you know not not, not going to say coast through life, but you know you're the best player, you know your football team, lacrosse team, you don't have to worry about anything. But you know I kind of had the opposite of that. You know I was you know I started playing lacrosse late. I didn't start right away. I got cut from varsity twice. You know I, I you know the last pick in the supplemental draft. I didn't play right away. I kind of had, like, a long road to get to, you know, actually playing or starting and staying as a starter. Uh, so I think, you know, I wouldn't change that for anything in the world because I think that's what, you know, made me work so hard and continue to work hard today is, you know, those experiences I had of doubt and, you know, not getting what you want. And, you know, my dad was a big believer in that. He was my soccer coach. Anytime I wouldn't play or he'd bench me, it'd just be like, you know, just work harder. It wasn't like, you know, so I think some parents nowadays, you know, they're blaming their – they blame the high school coaches, right? They're like, well, my son, why is my son playing here his coach? It's like, well, your son's not working outside of practice. right?" And, and yeah. you as a coach, you know, you're coaching at Vandergrift. you know, you, you know, who's working and who's not, you can tell right away. Uh, you know, the kids that can't catch and throw, they're not, they're not on the wall every day. Um, and yeah. if they, stay not being able to catch a throw, they're not working hard. So, you yeah. know, our sports, very technical hand-eye coordination, that stick is the equalizer. If you can, you know, if you can catch and throw on a consistent basis, you're going to be on the field. If you can't catch and throw, you're not going to be on the field. So yeah, um, that's, that's a big piece of
0: it. Yeah. I always say there's no secrets, right? The more work you put into it, it's going to show. You Absolutely. Know, obviously there's technique and there's good coaching you can have, but it really comes down to hard work. So that's a great point. Let's Wonderful. say we have a high school or youth player listening to this podcast right now, and he's motivated, listen to you and your story and he wants to go outside right now and do something to better his game, what would you have him do?
1: Uh, Depending on what position he is, I mean, wall ball is the biggest thing. I mean, when I got to Salisbury, Jim Berkman is a huge believer in wall ball. He makes us do it every single day. You know, you got to go through your wall ball routine. Um, And, you know, when I coached at Boys Latin for – you know, I coached there for four years, I was amazed at how many players were – you didn't have to ask them, force them, nothing. They're, they're literally on the wall before practice and after practice, shooting before practice, shooting after practice, doing one-on-ones. Like you, don't, you don't see that at many lacrosse schools. Um, and I think, you know, seeing that, um, I think kids just go on your own, right? Go on your own. If you're an offensive player, you need to shoot. Um, and not quantity of reps, quality of reps. A lot of kids, I think, go out, whether they're scrolling around with their friends, they're kind of out there with the ball bag, and they're just like, Swinging sidearm shots, right? When you, need, when you go out and practice, it needs to be practice. You can't be out there scoring around, yeah. right? If you're a shooter coach, you know, you know, I'm a big believer in overhand shooting. You need to go out and practice that technique, perfect that technique. Um, and, you know, you should also be learning how to shoot sidearm and underhand, right? Because you catch balls well, you need to probably bring it upstairs. And, you know, you're not going to always catch that ball, you know, right by your ear. So being able to shoot overhand, sidearm, underhand, three-quarter, whatever that may be, um you need to work on that like midfielder shooting on the run 90% of your shots are on the run probably 99% of your shots are on the run I see so many kids go out and do time in the room shooting but how many times in the game are you doing time in the room shooting not many um so you need to really just work on your position and the skills that you know are associated with that position right if you're a defenseman you got to do footwork. you got to have a speed ladder if you're a defenseman you do not have a speed ladder you better go buy one because Footwork is the most important thing you can do as a defenseman. And, you know, wall ball, right? Like I said, I mentioned earlier, our sport's a very technical sport. Hand-eye coordination, you need to be able to catch and throw with both hands consistently. So get out on the wall, 100 right, 100 left. Uh, it takes 20 minutes to do that. And everybody listening to this podcast, if they're high school players. A lot of them don't have full-time jobs. There should be no excuse that you can't get in 30 to an hour minutes of work every day.
0: Yeah. It, my old high school coach, Miss Sayre, says, when you drop the ball, everything stops, whether it's a clear offense, you know, anything in lacrosse, if you can't pass and catch, it's really hard to play at a high level, but that, that's yeah. great advice. Absolutely. So as we great wrap coach. up here, I got a, uh, we do a little addition called the fast five. I'm just going to ask you a quick question. Just give me your initial answer and feel free to explain a little bit if you'd like, you ready. Yep. <clears throat> do you prefer the East coast or the West coast? Since you live in LA from Maryland. West Coast? Okay.
1: West Coast, man. The weather. It's 70 degrees, man. It's raining. It might, be, might be snowing back You think it's like that polar vortex. Yeah. Yeah, I'm nowhere near that. I'm outside <laughs> of I my shirt off today. So I take the West Coast all day.
0: If you had to play another professional sport, what would it be?
1: Ooh, good question. Um, I think soccer. I play soccer. That you was know, my sport growing up. International soccer players, uh, you know, Premier League. If you look at those guys, those crowds are insane. I think it'd be absolutely nuts to be an uh, international soccer player or playing the Premier League. Absolutely. I think that kid, what was it? it was the first American, he was 17 years old. I forget what club he was playing for. They sure didn't score his first goal. I mean, he scored the goal. I don't know how many people at the venue, but, man, he went He went nuts.
0: <laughs> so. Your favorite check to throw as a defenseman?
1: Uh, over the head.
0: Gotta be careful, town high school kids. That
1: yeah, I know <laughs> you've probably mastered it. So yeah, you got to throw in areas where you can uh, recover. So. Exactly.
0: Favorite city to visit doesn't have to be in the Eight. U.S. Ooh,
1: favorite city to visit. Um, I'd say Denver. I love Denver. Denver's an awesome city. Austin, Texas. Uh, I'd say Austin, Texas, or Denver because they're two of my favorites. So good choices. Yeah.
0: Last one. Hardest part of being a pro lacrosse player?
1: The hardest part of being a pro lacrosse player is definitely, uh, balancing, uh, time management, right? Balancing work and also your workouts, taking care of your body. You got to do both. Um, like I said, I'm, you know, I'm playing the sport full time, but I'm also working for the league, uh, not by force, but by choice, because I want to help grow this thing. And, um, you know, I got to be in the office. So I got to make sure I'm getting my workouts in, taking care of my body. Uh, the so time management I think would definitely be, be up there for a biggest challenge of being a professional athlete
0: makes sense well kyle man thanks for coming on this has been awesome uh best of luck here as you guys get going with your second season with the premier lacrosse league and we look forward to having you down in austin in may
1: heck yeah man i can't wait man.
0: thanks for listening to lacrosse recruiting 101 catch us on instagram facebook and twitter have a question for Luke? Email them to questions at lacrosse 101com